have your Bibles, hopefully. Go ahead and take them out. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, that's where we'll spend some of our time. Also Psalm 104, that's where we'll be as well. Put your thumb there if you'd like. We're going to be uh, starting a new series today, and it's one I've struggled with, honestly, for some time now. I'm not, uh, I'm not very good at putting together sermon series, uh, especially if it's like topical, which is kind of what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. I'm, I'm fine with if you say, oh, we're going to preach through a book of the Bible. That makes sense to me. Can outline that, can go through that. But it's more difficult for me when it's, like I said, uh, topical. But once, once I can get my head wrapped around it, usually then it becomes a little easier. But this was one of those where, like Pastor Dave said, he wasn't sure what I was preaching this week on Mondays because I, I wasn't sure either. I had no, I had no idea. Um, because, like I said, it's just difficult for me to start a series and try to think about where I want to go. But I've been wanting to do uh, this kind of series for a while now. And it's a series on stewardship, or some might even say giving. Now, I, I know exactly what you're thinking when I say that. I, I do. Uh, when, you, when you hear that, giving, stewardship, you sink a little bit. And I do too, honestly. Uh, I've been struggling with this, thinking about this series, like I said, because I'm a, afraid of the direction that it'll go, and I don't want it to go in a certain direction. What I mean by that is this. Recently, you know, we, tonight we have our uh, business meeting for our budget that's coming up, and so the stewardship team had been meeting about the budget, and was a part of those meetings, and part of that meetings was thinking about uh, the renovations that need to happen in this, in this building. I don't know if you know it, but this building costs a lot of money. You might say, well, it's paid off. It is, uh, but upkeep is expensive in a building in this size, and you see something even like these See these windows? See these beautiful windows that we cover all the time? And I wonder why we even have them. Uh, those windows cost $130,000. Do you know that? We need them replaced. $130,000. Isn't that ridiculous? Some of you are like, what? Yeah, that's what I said. That's why they haven't been replaced yet. I'm like, that is crazy for that, just for us to cover them. You know, in my mind, I'm like, let's just put drywall over them and then we're done. That'd be pretty cheap. Uh, we don't use them. Uh, but this stuff costs money. And so as a team, you sit there and you try to think, how do we... How do we do this? How do we, how do we uh, pay for this? And as we were talking about that, you know, the stewardship, stewardship team came up with an idea, and they're like, well, maybe, maybe we need to do some sort of campaign, some sort of drive. And I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with those sort of things, and that might be something that we, that we do. But there is something in that that unsettles me at times. It makes me feel uncomfortable to have to ask for that. Uh, the unsettledness comes because... I don't want to have to convince people to give money in, I, in a way that's guilt-driven or, or law-driven. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. That can be effective, don't get me wrong. That can absolutely work at times. But I don't think that's the right way, the biblical way to go about it. You see, in a perfect scenario, I would never have to ask for money. The church would come, the church would give and we would have plenty. There would be no, no doubt about that. And we, we all know that. If, if everybody who came to church gave uh, what they could and what God had called them to give, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have an issue. But we don't live in a perfect scenario. That, that never happens. Uh, and so I don't, again, want to do law. What I want is I want all us to be generous. And this is going to be the word that I want to use, hopefully throughout the series, is, is generous. Not just in our giving, but in all areas of our life. And to have an understanding of why we are called to live that way and why we as Christians 
do live that way. Uh, my hope is that in this series, beginning with today, that we'll see that what we have in God is we have a very generous God who by nature is generous. That is his nature is to be generous. And as a result, his children, who he has adopted into his family, us, those who've been saved uh, by the blood of Christ, we then are generous. And again, this isn't just financially, but this is with our, with our whole being. And it's not just here in a church setting, but it's also in your setting, in your home, uh, at work. It's, it's what you are. You are seen as a generous person. And, and it comes and stems because we serve a Christ who was generous as well, right? He, we're selfless people. Why? Because Christ was selfless. That's what he did. That's what he modeled for us. And we now are in Christ, I've been saying that phrase a lot, and I want us to continue to grasp that. The depths of that saying, we are in Christ, is almost so deep it'll never run out. The fact that we are in Christ, me and Spencer were talking about this this week a little bit and talking about this series, and I think he had brought up from one of the millions of books he reads at at a time, whatever it was, Uh, but something that we have to remember is because you are in Christ, and I like the way this was phrased, when, when you give, let's say, to the church of your time, let's say you volunteer back in nursery, Scott was talking about nursery, what's actually happening is Christ is ministering to our children in the nursery through you, and so Christ is back there serving through you because you're in Christ, and Christ takes care of the church, his bride. When you give money in the offering plate, Christ is giving to the church body to meet its needs through you. It's not you doing it, it's It's Christ doing it. Why? Because you are now in Christ. It's not you anymore. It's him. Everything is of him. When you go to work and you serve at work and you're working for your boss, it's Christ in you is serving in the community through you as you do it. That really changes our perspective, I think, on service, on giving, on these different types of topics, which can be uncomfortable for us. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we see this truth as Paul talks about it. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This this is what we say. This is how we live. This is what we do as the church. It's It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, you and I both know that we struggle with that, don't we, throughout the week. We want to serve ourselves. We want to do the things that we want to do that please us. And so we struggle with that. But still, as a Christian, Christ is working through you in your family, at work, with your friends, wherever it is, and also here in the church. Now, there's a couple of resources I've been using that will help me. One of them is in the book stall that uh, Scott talked about a little bit ago. Uh, There's a book out there by Chad Bird, who's going to be our speaker at our men's conference coming up in March, I believe called My Cup Runneth Over. Now, I would encourage you to get that book and to read it. Even if you can't give a donation, uh, grab it. And it's the type of book I like. It's 60-some pages, and it's only like three by four. That's the size of it. So it's not very big. You could read it, gentlemen, and some couple bathroom visits, maybe. All right? You could have it over with. No problem. But it is a very encouraging book on grace and on generosity. And then the other book I've looked at some and will probably use more is God at Work, which I believe was uh, used in a Sunday school class. Uh, and so that's, a, that's another one. I just wanted to share that. And so to start this series, I think we've got to go to the beginning. That's why I told you to go to Genesis. You see, the past few weeks we've been in Psalms, 
and I didn't plan this out, it's just kind of worked out this way, but the past few psalms have been talking about creation, and that really is where we see the beginning of God's generosity, is in creation. And so I want us to read Genesis chapter 1, I want you to follow along with me through the first 25 verses, and this is where we'll start. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You see, one of the things that we see here in the creation narrative is we see God's great generosity on full display. I mean, there's a whole museum about this now, isn't it? Which maybe some of you have went to and seen, and they really get down into the weeds of, of this, what we read already. But when you step back, you see the kindness of God in creation. First day, light and dark. Day two, the sky. Day three, the dry lands, the seas, plants, and trees. Day four, we get the sun, the moon, the stars. Day five, sea creatures, flying animals. And then day six, land animals. And when we see all of this, it does seem, as you read it, as if there's a buildup taking place. It gets more exciting and more exciting as it goes on, right? More life, more things happening. More things to look at, more things to enjoy. And in fact, I, I stopped at the most important part, which was verses 26 through 31, because it 
it seems as if everything is building up for this moment. And when you get to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. All of this creation building up. Why? So that the Lord could then create man in his image, he says. And then after he creates man in his image, he does something different than he has done all through creation up to this point. He tells mankind, he says what? All of this is for you. Uh, He didn't say it to the stars. He didn't say it to the moon. he He didn't say it to anything else in his creation. He looked at Adam and Eve and he said, all of this that I've created, everything here is for you. It's for you to eat. It's for you to subdue. It is for you to have dominion over. That's great generosity that we see in God. The whole cosmos put together, why? For our satisfaction. That's what we see in the creation story. And one of the questions that comes to my mind when I read that is, what does God have to gain from this? Why, why, would, God, why would God do all of this? Because the answer to what does he have to gain of this is nothing. <laughs> there is nothing in the creation story that makes God gain anything. God cannot gain anything because if he could gain something, he then isn't God anymore. Right? He's not then all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient if he's gaining something. God doesn't gain anything from creation. What we see in creation is that all of this is taking place simply because God by his nature is loving, kind, and generous. It's just his generosity overflowing to us as man to have creation, to enjoy it, to be satisfied in it, to be able to have dominion over it, and to subdue it. There's been many places where this has been written about in Scripture, some of which I said we have uh, read already and that we have looked at already. But if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 104, Psalm 104 seems to be David's way, and David's credited with this psalm in a lot of places, but David's way of talking about creation. Now, it's a longer psalm, but it is one that really mimics the creation story. So I want you to listen to it as I read again. I know it's a little longer, but just bear with me in reading the Word of God so that we can grasp David and his poetry in talking about creation and his kindness to man in creation. David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations. 
so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in the dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teams with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships, the Levathian, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. May who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now, I know that was a lot in Psalm 104, but what do we see there? David is comprehending and he's understanding as he looks around that everything on the earth is satisfied just because of the generosity of God. He says, even the lions, even, even those who prey on animals at night, how do they get their food? He says, because God gives it to them. Because God gives it to them. You and I drive around Monroe County or wherever you live, and you are bound to pass, unless you live right downtown, you are bound to pass cornfields, soybean fields this time of year. Out kind of where I live, uh, there was... Uh, some tomatoes being harvested not too long ago. Saw big tractors going and, and scooping up the, the tomatoes. Right? We, we can see all these fields and all of this produce, and this is the time of year when farmers start to think about harvest. It starts to come into their mind. Right? You, you guys are going to start to go to apple orchards, and when you go to an apple orchard, what do you expect? An apple. Don't you? You're going to go to a pumpkin patch, and what are you going to expect? You're going to expect to see Big orange pumpkins. That's what you're going to expect to see. Some of you go for donuts, but you're supposed to go for pumpkins. And you expect that to be there. Now, the farmers do their best to make sure that those things produce 
Some of them go off to school and they study to learn about seed, to learn about germination, to learn about what they can do to the soil to make sure that it produces perfectly. But the fact is, and every farmer knows this, it is not 100% in their control at all. We know this. When you plant a garden or whatever it is, it is not in our control to decide if this is going to produce because the fact is, all of a sudden on one day, we could get six inches of rain and our garden is flooded and we don't have a garden anymore. You could try your best to solve that problem, but you just can't solve the problem. And it's because we have to realize and understand that the only reason we eat is because God gives it to us. As you drive through Wendy's when you leave here and you use your credit card or whatever it is and you get your pump, do you know they have pumpkin flavored frosties there now? It sounds disgusting. But some of you will go right after this and get that because I said it. <clears throat> the only reason you have that food is because God allows you to have that food. You can take it down to something even simpler and I know that we all know this, but God is so generous that you're breathing right now. He created your lungs. He created your blood vessels. He created your brain. He created your eyes, your ears. It's only because he is so kind and generous to you that at this moment, you can live. And David is saying in Psalm 104, all of creation has only God to thank for the care that it has. It's because of his kindness and his generosity that it works and that it is even there. And it's amazing to think that all along, God has had a plan and it continues to unfold. His plan continues to play out perfectly. And we see this very clearly in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it should be on the screen. The writer of Hebrews starts the book out in a very poetic way. He says, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And notice what he says about the son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. And through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now there's two things I want us to see here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 in thinking about creation. The first is this. It tells us here that creation was created through Jesus Christ. It was through Jesus Christ that all things were created. The doctrine of the Trinity is very important, just in general, but it's very important here, and we see it here in Hebrews Jesus wasn't just present during creation. He, he wasn't just with the Father and clapping the Father on as the Father created things. No, it says everything was created through him. So before creation ever was, you've got to remember too, the plan of salvation through Jesus was written. Do you remember that? So think about that. Creation is all being made through Jesus Christ, knowing that it is through Jesus Christ also that the world would be redeemed through him. This, this creation that's going to turn its back on God and rebel will be redeemed through the one creation is being created through. You want to talk about generosity. I don't know how generous you would be to somebody when you know they're just taking your money. I mean, let's make it real serious, and I'm not advocating that you do this, but we see people on the corners, don't we? And they're at very strategic corners of our community asking for money. And I have been told, 
And you, I'm sure, have been told, don't give your money to those people. It's a scam. And so we don't want to be generous to those people because we know they're not going to use our generosity well. It's not going to be used appropriately. I would guess, for most of us in here, if you were driving on La Pleasance Road, out by I-75, you know the area I'm talking about now, and you saw somebody standing on a corner and they were holding a sign saying, I need, could you give me some money, help me? Every one of us would think the same thing, wouldn't we? They're going to take my money, and then they're going to go into one of them stores and use it for stuff that we don't agree with. And so we would then tell ourselves, don't be generous to that person, which I think is fair, probably. But what God did is God created everything through his son, Jesus Christ, in whom he knows this creation is going to take my generosity and they're going to nail him to a cross. That's what they're going to do. Yet he still did it. Why? Because he's loving and generous. He is a generous father who continues to give good gifts to his children. This is why Paul can declare in Ephesians that before the foundations of the world, you have been chosen in him. He can say that. Why? Because it was God's plan all along. All of creation, from the smallest of creation to the biggest of creation, the the speck of dust on some distant planet that you don't even know about, you don't know the name of, in a very distant galaxy, all the way to the very hair on your arm that you have there, all of it was created through Jesus Christ. All of this came to be because of him who then would go and die for all of it. Now think about that for a minute. God created this world for us to enjoy, to have dominion over. He creates it through Jesus, and then Jesus would pay the price for our rebellion against our very generous creator. What a plan. (laughs) What a plan that God has. This does point to God's generosity, and to be honest, we're not even done yet. We've just scratched the surface of it. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says not only was creation created through Christ, but how does creation keep going? What does it say? How do the cosmos still work? How do you still breathe? How does your heart still pump? How, how does your brain still function? What does it say? It only functions, why? Because the word of Christ upholds it right now. Right now, it's only by the power of Christ that everything is being sustained at all time. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus uses this word of his power. Jesus speaks. Just like we saw in creation, God spoke and things were created. Still today, Jesus speaks and everything is sustained. Just like we read, like I said in Genesis, God speaking, creation. Jesus speaks, creation keeps going. All of life moving, all of life evolving, all of life continuing to work. Why? Because Jesus makes sure it happens. Every breath we take, every step, this is all because of Jesus. And the amazing thing is, this is true for us as Christians, but it's also true for everybody who's not a Christian. This great generosity of God is given to us as the church, his children who he's adopted into his family, but it's also a generosity that is given to your neighbor who you know despises and hates God. It's given to the people who do not know God, do not recognize him, and do not care about him. That's how generous 
Our God is. At any moment, as I've said, all this could end, but it doesn't. Why? Because of God's generosity. I mean, sure, you and I would like it if Christ would return. I would guess if I polled most Christians, at least theologically, you would say, and no, yes, I wish he would return. Now, if we really talked, you might say, yeah, there's a couple things I'd like to do before he comes back, if you were honest. But we do pray and we, we seek the return of Christ. We, we anticipate that. We, we want that. But did you know that even in that being held off, the, the father not telling the son to come and return, that shows how generous God is. You say, well, what do you mean? As the church, we want him to come. We're, we're begging for him to come. Think of how generous it is to your lost neighbor, though, that Christ doesn't come right now. The generosity of God the Father allowing the gospel to still be spread and to talked about. To say, there's still time. I'm still knocking. I'm still here. Seek me while I may be found. You might ask, I think that was talked about earlier, seek while he may be found. You might say, well, when is that? Right now. It's right now. That opportunity is there. And that opportunity is only there because God allows it to be there. And so we see the generosity in God and just allowing the gospel to still go out into a lost world, into a rebellious world, saving sinners. Because we know that when Christ returns, that's no more. It's over. We go home. And we, again, we look forward to that day and we can't wait for that day. But we see his generosity and his patience in allowing the lost to continue to hear. I recently heard a podcast clip. A lot of you guys know who Joe Rogan is. He, I don't listen to his podcast very often, but there was a, a little clip. And I, I don't even know who his guest was that time. I don't know if it was a Christian or whoever it was. But Joe Rogan was questioning God, and the way he was questioning God is he was questioning his goodness. And he was saying the common thing that we've heard from people for years and years and years. I would like to ask God, if he's so good, why is there war? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? I don't think this is how the person responded to him. I don't know. I didn't, like I said, I didn't go into it. I don't even know who it was, but God does answer that question. I want you to know that. God answers that question, and he answers it in Job 38, 1 through 4. Now, this is a little section of Job I like to read quite often to put me in my place, but also, I think, at times to put us in our place, remembering that God is creator. Because in, in Job 38, 1 through 4, you remember Job has suffered. His friends have come and haven't done the best job of counseling him and caring for him. And Job finally gets an answer from God of what's going on. And God's answer isn't what the answer that we would expect. Because in Job 38, 1 through 4, this is how God answers this question. Is God, are you good if all this is happening? It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsels by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to me. You make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, that's the response that Joe Rogan needed. Now, I don't know much about him at all, that guy. I know when I look at him, he's uh, gained a lot of mass since he was on Fear Factor back in the day. Uh, maybe that's through working out or whatever. But I'm, I'm pretty sure he thinks he's a pretty manly man. And God would say, dress for action like a man young man. 
Answer this, and then I'll answer your question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You can continue to read Job 38 of all that it says. Where were, not, where were you when I decided the hail that would fall on the earth and put it in its storehouses? Well, where were you when creation took place? When I, when I laid everything, where were you in your power and your might to decide how everything would be done? Because you obviously have a better plan. You obviously think something else should be done. Where were you when all this happened? The answer is, oh wait, you weren't around because I didn't create you yet. I didn't create you yet. You see, again, we can get mad at a question like that from somebody like a, like a Joe Rogan, but what, what I wish he knew is the only reason you can ask that question is because God, God filled your lungs with air to even be able to talk. The vocal cords that you have were designed by the God that you're blaspheming. The only reason you have this podcast is because he allows you to have that. At any second, he could take all this away. Everything you've built up, your whole empire that you think you have because of you, is only because of the generosity of God. And so who, for a second, are you to question God? See, this is the problem with that question, is none of us have the right to even ask it. We can be assured that God is good. As I have been saying, we see it in creation. Now, we didn't read Genesis chapter 3, but in Genesis chapter 3, we see why the world has gone amok. We see the answer for why there is evil and hardships and suffering. We, we know the answer for that is sin. That's the answer. And we know that one day all things will be restored. Paul actually tells us this in Romans chapter 8. And this is the last section I'm going to read. We are going to have Lord's Supper together. In Romans chapter 8, one of the great chapters in Scripture. In verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is Paul's answer to this question. He says, I think it's the wrong question, and not why does this happen. I, I, think, the, I think what it is is this doesn't even come close to comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, Romans 8.28 is... And often thought about verse, it's, 
It's a verse that maybe you even have on the walls at your home. It's definitely a popular verse. But I wonder if we realize that all creation is working together for our good. Is that how you feel every week? Is that what you think every week? Or do you often say things like, it feels like the whole world is out to get me. Right? I haven't hit a green light all day. All red lights all day. This is annoying. Right? But actually what the Bible tells us is as Christians, because you are a child of God, saved by the grace of God, you are in Christ, that in fact, all of creation, I want you to think of how big that is, all of creation, everything in it, is working together for your good. Piddly little you. Who in the world would care about you? Right? Who would think about you? Who in the world would ever utter your name to hope that good came to you? You might say, well, my parents maybe, or my grandparents, or maybe my kids, or potentially my spouse would want good for me. Maybe. But who else? Who else? The person that you run into in Kroger? Do you think they want good for you? No, they cut in front of you. You have more items than them. You're a distraction. You're in their way. Right? And we think, who wants me to succeed? Who, who has anything good for Tim? Well, when I read the Bible, God and his loving kindness and generosity to me actually makes the whole world work together for what? For Tim's good. That's a promise. Now, we twist that promise to make it think that my life is going to be easy, that my life is going to be pain-free, that I'm going to live just a healthy life until I'm 90-some years old, and then one day I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm never going to wake up, and that's just, that would be, that would be good. No, that's not what's being said here. It says all things in this world are working together for Tim's good. And what is Tim's good? To be drawn closer and closer to God. That's what's for Tim's good. All things are working together to point Tim to God. To say, Tim, look how much I love you. Look how much I care for you. Look at the plans that I have for you. The plans that I have for you are good. They're good. And look at the promise that's given in verses 29 through 30. Who's this for? He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, what does it say? He also glorified. Paul's writing in a way where as if the future is the present, isn't he? He's writing as if the future is right now, and he's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, if Christ has saved you, you, you have been called to him. That means you've been chosen in him. That means his plan before the foundations of the world, that was you. You're included in that. And now you are justified. You're saved by his grace. And many of us would stand and say amen to that. Yes, that is me. But if you've also been justified, what does he say? He's also what? Glorified. You say, but I don't feel that yet. Yeah, Paul's writing as if it's done, because it is. It's, it's done. It's yours. It is, it's completely glorified. All of creation is working for your good, because at the end, guess what? You and I, saved in the blood of Christ, nothing of our own doing, will be glorified in glory. 
the rebellious creator, creation, saved by the creator, and not just being told, here, just kind of sit in the corner. Just kind of sit over here, you know? You're just lucky you're in. Guys, just be, just be happy you're at the party. No, no, no. I'm going to glorify you. You're going to be magnified. You're going to be uplifted. This is the generosity of our God. See, what I'm afraid of is too often, this is where we get stuck as Christians. And you you have to hear this from a very loving spot because I I struggle with this too, so don't get me wrong. All we think about as Christians is the suffering. It's all we focus on. It's all we talk about. That's all we hear. Yeah, life's hard. But praise God, you know. Yeah, life's difficult. I sure do love God, though. Right? We, we, We try to mask it with some words, but we never actually live as if our hope is found in a God who is generous to us, loves us, and everything is working together for our good. Instead, we kind of live pretty mopey. We kind of live as if we have a lot of weight on our back. We kind of live as if this world is a struggle. Instead of living as if we're victorious, instead of living as if we've been called Instead of living as if we've been justified. Instead of living as if we've been glorified. See, that's a reason why I think a lot of our family members and a lot of our coworkers, they don't really want to have a lot to do with your church and with your God. Because they look at us and they think, well, man, based on what your God is, I don't, it doesn't seem very good. You don't ever seem to get past the the sorrow and the shame and the guilt. Why would I want that? When in fact, as Christians, we have the exact opposite story. We are the ones who've got past the sorrow, the shame, and the guilt because it's been dealt with by our Savior, Jesus. We are the ones who know that when forgiveness is sought after, it's given. We know who to go to for forgiveness, We know that this whole world, the whole purpose of this creation is for our good. And I think we need to understand that, grasp that, and realize that. This morning, I don't know necessarily how God would use this service in your life and this message in your life, but my hope and my prayer has been that when you leave, you leave understanding a little better that God has been very generous to you. And that in understanding his generosity causes you to want to thank him and to honor him. That maybe some of you came in here this morning and you were pretty pouty, justifiably, because stuff has been difficult in your life. But I hope you walk out them doors with a smile on your face because God has all things working for your good. I know you don't see it. I know you don't see the end and you don't even understand how it might happen, but God has it for your good. You'll also notice in this message, there was, no, there was no point to where I said, you know what you need to do to feel better is look within. Because when you look within, you're going to feel worse. The Bible tells us the exact opposite for feeling better, doesn't it? Look to your generous God. Look to what he has done for you outside of you, apart from you, through Christ. He's done all things for you. Look to him. When you see the trouble of the world, look to him. Realize he has a plan. 
right? When you go through these things, continue to look to him and let him give you the joy and hope that only he can give you in Christ. That's what I hope you walk out with this morning. Praising a generous God who loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you. And you know that he is his. He is yours. You know that you are in Christ. And you know now that as you serve, as you do whatever, Christ is working through you. And you give him all praise and all glory. I'm going to bow together and pray. And then uh, after that, gentlemen are going to come and we're going to observe Lord's Supper together this morning and partake of that. I've been looking forward to that. So let's pray and then gentlemen come and we'll start handing out the elements. God, I thank you for your generosity. God, I pray that we would see that as your children. Help us to, to see that, how good and how kind you are to us. God, I can't even begin to list how you have provided for me and my family throughout my life. I've always had a place to sleep. I've always had food to eat. I've always had family and friends around. I've always had an education. I've been given so much. And God, it's because of, it's because of you. I didn't have to be born here in this place. I could have, could have been anytime, anywhere with great struggles. But no, I, you've just given me so much. And then apart from all the materialistic things that we could write down, God, we then see in your word how kind you've been to us and dealing with our problem, our rebellion, our sinful heart. You, you would send Jesus, your son, to this earth, to live a perfect life and to die in our place, to to take our penalty, what we deserve. And now we can be in him, in Christ, so that when you see us, you see Christ in his perfection. God, there has never been generosity like that ever. God, I know in my life, I I know people who are generous and they're people you want to be around. They're often joyful and they often have hope and peace. But God, their generosity doesn't even compare, doesn't even come close to the generosity that you have poured out on us. And so God, I pray that we would live in light of that, that we would live joyfully, that we would live looking forward to that day when we will be glorified with you in glory forever, in heaven forever. God, that is our promise. It is sealed through the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would help us to live that way Help us to have joyful hearts, peace, reflecting on your great generosity. And then I do pray that in return it would cause us to be generous people because we are yours. So God, help us to bask in that this week. I pray that we would see your generosity all around us. I pray that we would be reminded of it when we take a bite to eat, that we'd be reminded of your generosity when we have a good conversation with a friend. Be reminded of your generosity when we get in our car and we have the ability to drive somewhere. So many places, God, that we can see it. Help us to recognize it this week. And God, I pray that this week would just be a week of praising you for how good you are to us. God, help us with that. We pray now in Christ's name. Amen.